All right, well, the children are about to leave with their leaders for their little time of study, and we're going to turn today back one more time. It's the final time, in fact, to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. We are going to be looking at today the last seven verses of the entirety of the book of Ecclesiastes. So turn with me yet one more time to Ecclesiastes. And as you're turning there, let's just take a brief recap and brief review of where we have been in scattered moments throughout Ecclesiastes. Recall very quickly that we started in the very beginning in chapter 1 with the message we had titled, Same Same. The title was a reference to a t-shirt I had seen on a missionary trip in which I had to chain my Thailand that essentially said the words of Solomon in chapter 1, verse 9, when he said, what has been done, or what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. It's the same, same. The same thing all over again. There's nothing new. Everything's the same. It's all been done. Everything's been written. Life is just repeating itself. It's all the same. We followed that first week into the second week by looking into chapter 2 with the message called Trivial Pursuits. The text revealed that we read that Solomon had everything. He had all the wealth, the possessions, worldly pleasures. He had a great career. He had done a lot of accomplishments. He even had a boatload of wisdom and education. But he said it's all trivial pursuits. It was all meaningless. They did not offer him nor give him the meaning and purpose in which he was hoping for. He concluded that all that was not only trivial, it was just chasing after the wind. In chapter 2, verse 11, he said, I considered all that my hands had done and the toil at which I had expended it, doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving or chasing after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So then we went after those two chapters into the third chapter in numerical sequence, and we found a very popular text in Ecclesiastes chapter, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, that everything has its time. The text revealed for us that God is sovereign and in complete control, regardless of the powers that remain and events in life that would suggest otherwise. Everything is according to his timing. It's been said that God is never late and always on time. But one thing we remember that we noticed, we made a quick observation in the third chapter that in Ecclesiastes chapters 1 and 2, Solomon is using the first and, first and third person quite a bit. There's none of that in chapter 3. In fact, the best observation that we made in no special notation in the third chapter is that we've seen him begin to turn away from things under the sun to things above the sun for meaning and purpose. And then that continued the next week into chapter 5. We skipped over the fourth chapter, went right into chapter 5 with the message telling us we must and should have always the right attitude as it comes to worship. The point of the message that particular day, you may remember, was to never allow worship to become meaningless. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 1, he said, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. And secondly, he said, be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. 
Again, the notation was made that Solomon was certainly turning his attention to things above the sun to fully understand meaning and purpose in not only his life, but in all of our lives. And then finally, we made a big leap last week into the ninth chapter, verses 7 through 10, where Solomon gave us some advice about how we could live the good life. We summed it all up and said this, that life is short, death is certain. So live in the most meaningful way possible that you can. So we've had five weeks of messages from the text in Ecclesiastes, from the preacher, from Solomon. Now, admittedly, we have hop, skipped, jumped all over the place in Ecclesiastes. But to review the entirety of Ecclesiastes would have been exhaustive and would have taken much more time than we have allowed to take to be able to review each particular part of it. So we've only been selective in our review. And I want to tell you, there's much, much more if you ever have a moment to read all 12 chapters in its entirety, please do so, because there's much more to glean from the, t the text and from Ecclesiastes, and we've had time to be able to review. We didn't cover it all. We couldn't possibly. But if you have a chance to read it all, go back and reread it. But remember this. As we've hop, skipped, and jumped around, we said this in the very beginning with week one, looking into chapter one that our intention by going to Ecclesiastes was to review a portion of his words, which we have done to help define our meaning and purpose in life. And then last week, as we leaped into the ninth chapter, we hinted strongly that part of our purpose is to make a positive contribution in life. We noted we only have one life. So in the one life we have, make it count. Live and make a legacy, not for your glory, but for his. Point people to Christ. Share the good news and the gospel and the love of Jesus with other people. That has got to be part of our purpose that we must understand that we have in life. So today, then, as we make our final return to Ecclesiastes, we have what could be called a final exam. Life's final exam is given to us today in this portion we read today to ultimately reveal our meaning and purpose. So let us read the text and of course we'll expand when we get a chance. So stand with me this morning as we do so to simply stand and honor the reading of the word. Again we find ourselves in the last of Ecclesiastes, the very end of it. In chapter 12 we're going to start in verse 8 and then read through the end of the chapter. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 8 says this, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Besides being wise, in verse 9, it says the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like gold, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected saints. They are given by one shepherd. My son, verse 12, be aware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. And finally, verse 13, where he says, the end of the matter. All has been heard. 
Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is a whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Father, Lord, we begin to come into your presence and just ask the Lord as you be with us as we receive this text today, the finale of our time that we've been together, looking into your word of what is written by Solomon into Ecclesiastes. And today, Lord, much like perhaps previous weeks, we invite your spirit to reign and to lead and to guide as we receive this message. I pray, Lord, that we understand the text better today, but also see how it applies to all of our lives. It ultimately brings meaning and purpose to all of us. So let us then, Lord, listen and begin to apply and receive the purpose you have for each of us. Let's be thankful then for what shall happen here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, note with me in the verses that we read that we basically find that Solomon considers all that he has written. He considers all that he has ever done in life under the sun and places everything, especially life in general, in perspective. And he concludes then with verse 13 by the reading of the New Living Translation, where it is slightly different than what we just read, he concludes this. He says, look, this is the whole story. This is everything I've done. I've revealed to you. He says, but here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands. For this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing whether good or bad. Now Solomon's concluding words, in whatever translation you may prefer, prompts many different scholars to rephrase or reword for understanding application. One commentary stated this. He said, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. This is the preacher's conclusion as he brings his journey into understanding to an end. Yet another commentary was even more direct and expressed it this way. He said, if there is no God to judge the world, then human existence is a pointless litigation that ends in meaningless despair. From the beginning of this book, Solomon has been saying that if there is no God, there is no meaning, that nothing matters. But as we hear that, then we, of course, know there is a God. And we know God personally in the form of his son, Jesus. Now, the verse that many of us memorize very early in our Christian lives, John 3.16, comes right into play real quickly. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. We, earn, we learn that very early in our lives as Christians. We become believers. We quickly learn John 3.16. It's possible if there was people today filling all the stadium in Tampa for the Super Bowl, you might even see someone holding up a sign that says John 3.16. There's not going to be many people there today, so you may not see it. But a lot of times that does happen. It's a verse that we memorize very early in life. But it's not just 316 that matters. I mean, all the verses that follow John 316 equally matter 
John 17, 3.17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And then verse 19, equally important, for this is the judgment. The light, Jesus, came into the world. People loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. I mean, the verses that we read in Ecclesiastes in chapter 12, even for the matter of all Ecclesiastes, eventually point us right to what John is also expressing in these words. I mean, remarkably, years after Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes, John had a bit of a follow-up to echo his words pertaining to life and our meaning, our existence, our purpose, and our mission. And he said, simply, there's one thing that we need to understand is our mission in life, our meaning, our purpose, is that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and our mind. Just as Chris told the children, just as I think Roger told the Sunday School class, it comes back into play. We are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Notice it's written as a command that we are to do. In fact, the command to love the Lord your God has never changed in the history of time. Back in Deuteronomy, when Moses was writing, he was the first to write the Shema in, the, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. You find it very similarly to what Matthew wrote later in his gospel in 2237. I mean, it's striking how you see the word so similar, nearly verbatim but it's written as a command. And over time, that command has never changed. It applies to everyone. It applied to Solomon. It applied to his father, David. Moses, who wrote it initially. It applied to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, Paul, all the people, including you and me, everyone. Should love the Lord your God with all of your strength, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. Which is why Solomon is correct when he states in verse 13 that the end of the matter, everything has been said and has been heard. The end of the matter is this. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Not happen to prefer the New American Standard when it becomes reading this verse 13, because if it's ever confusing when it says the whole duty of man, the New American Standard helps clear that up when it says it applies to every person, no matter who you are, what color you are, what age you are, what gender you are, that applies to every person to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. That's the command. It's meaning and purpose. So with that, what am I really trying to say today in our final message of Ecclesiastes? For that matter, what is he maybe the point of this entire series? Well, let me say it this way. The point of what I'm trying to say, the point of the series is this, that everything matters. 
I mean, Solomon initially declared that nothing matters. But in fact, everything matters. Because how we live our life truly matters. How we live our life matters. I mean, Solomon, in everything that we've learned about him so far, proves this to be true. Remember, we have stated numerous times, he lived life under the sun in any possible way of extravagance. He had enormous wealth, abundance of possessions. He had done everything imaginable under the sun. He had these great accomplishments. He had built the palace. He built the temple, all wonderful things, the vineyard, the gardens. He had a lot of things of career accomplishments that he could boast about. He had a harem of women. He had unparalleled wisdom. He had astounding education. His palace would make Tom Brady's place look like a poorhouse. He had everything. But here's the thing we need to know through what we learned about Solomon, is that he was not true to God. He lived for himself rather than for God. So in Ecclesiastes, we read about, if you will, his life regrets. He's had it all. He's done everything. And initially, he states that everything is utterly meaningless. It is vanity. Vanity of vanities. And now we see perhaps that he comes full circle and concludes the fact that everything in life does matter. Everything in life, like our actions, our words, our thoughts, everything, everything should point people to God. Philip Ryken actually states it better than I do, but he words it this way. He said, the preacher began and ended his spiritual quest by saying that everything is vanity and that without God, there is no meaning or purpose to life. Is that all there is? He kept asking. Isn't there more to life than what I see under the sun? If there is no God and therefore no final judgment, then it is hard to see how anything we do matters. But if there is a God, and there is, who will judge the world, and he will, then everything matters. Our lives that we live truly matters. How you live your life matters. So Solomon, he takes us on a journey to help us understand this truth. I'll say it once more. How you live your life matters. How you live your life truly matters. It should point people to Christ. If we call ourselves Christians and believers, followers of Christ, then surely it should point people to Christ. How you live your life matters. So the question really becomes this. How you live in your life. You can only give one life. How are you living that life? Are you living it and just reckless, abandoned, enjoying, partaking that all the world has to offer? Or are you living it obediently, following the commands as have been written, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength? 
In short, are you making your life count? Don't waste the life you've been given. We only have one life, so make it count. So in the time we have remaining then, the question that we talk about and answer is this. How can we then ensure we're living such a life to make it count while simultaneously fulfilling the purpose of loving God with all of our heart and then sharing that love with the entire world? And the answer is found in one word. And the word is truth. Solomon gives us a bit of an outline to follow in his concluding words about how we can live the abundant life joyfully, pointing people to Christ, loving him by knowing and having truth. So let's review the presentation of truth, the purpose of truth, the purity of truth, and then finally the absolute truth. We'll expand upon each of these. If you miss them, we'll catch them again in a moment. But the first is the presentation of truth. It's verses 9 and 10 in the text today. The presentation of truth. Notice the very last word in verse 10. Truth. If you ask someone, you leave here today, have a conversation, go to wherever you may be going, maybe to a Super Bowl party sometime, as long as there's less than 25 people because that's what's supposed to happen. But you ask them, what is truth? What is truth? It is likely when you ask them that question, you're going to get a variety of answers. Because we seem to be living in what is called today a postmodern society, which means that in postmodern thought, truth is relative. What I may think is truth, someone else may think differently about truth. So they say, well, truth is uncertain. It is relative. There's actually nothing absolute about truth. There's nothing certain. There's nothing concrete. They say truth is ever-changing. But interestingly, as we think about that question that could be asked, or we may be asked to someone sometime in our life about what is truth, interestingly, that question was the inquiry that Pilate had towards Jesus. In John 18, 38, he asked that direct question. Now remember, as you get into John 18, the situation was that Jesus had been condemned by the Sanhedrin, by the council, and then taken to Pilate for sentencing. The Pharisees want Jesus to be sentenced to death. But Pilate is curious to the charge. So he begins to question Jesus. Pick up the text with me in John 18, verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Well, Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or do others say it to you about me? Well, Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation, the chief priest, to deliver you over to me. What have you done? Well, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. But then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. But Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to 
the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. But then Pilate said to him, then the question, what is truth? Now, as you hear that text and maybe read along with me, go back and look again, verse 37, because the word truth, I tried to emphasize, presented twice in verse 37. So the question really becomes then, what truth is Jesus referring to? Especially the sentence where he says, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. What is this truth? Before answering, we consider earlier in John in chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciple, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Well, there it is again, the word truth, presented again twice. So what is this truth? Well, the answer is this. The truth is that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the promised Savior. He is Messiah of the world. That is the truth. That's the entire presentation, presentation of the truth. In case it's any way confusing, MacArthur adds this. John MacArthur says truth refers not only to the facts surrounding Jesus as the Messiah and the Son of God, but also to the teaching that he brought. A genuinely saved and obedient follower of the Lord Jesus will know divine truth and both freedom from sin and the search for reality. The divine truth comes not merely by intellectual assent, but saving commitment to Christ. So that is truth. Truth is Jesus as Lord and Savior and his teachings that set us free. And it should be truth that we should obey. Because in regards to Solomon, in his situation, we need to see that now finally Solomon has come to realize that the truth in his life was connected to obedience to what the Father had written and that he should be obeying the commands. Solomon's life was shallow. It was completely meaningless by his own admittance. So now he presents in the finale of the entire book of Ecclesiastes, he presents and expresses the truth to all of his loyal subjects and followers. What is the truth that he's presenting to all of his followers? It's verse 13 and 14. He said, the whole duty of man is to fear God and keep his commandments, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Then he quickly says this too, that God will bring every deed of our lives into judgment. There is no secret thing with God. He knows whether it was good or evil. Now that is actually called the absolute truth, which we'll go back to in just a moment. But the bottom line in this first point we're making here is this, that obedience, keeping the commands while simultaneously being aware of the judgment coming at the end, and all that paired with Jesus as the Son of God, the Savior, is the presentation of truth in our lives. The presentation of truth that leads to filling our purpose. 
Jesus is truth. The one and only Son of God who come to save the world. That's the presentation of truth, the purpose of truth. The purpose of truth in verse 11. It says, the words of the wise are like gold, and like nails firmly fixed are the collective sayings. They're given by one shepherd. Now, notice a couple of things, if you will, in verse 11. First, the analogy of goads and nails. I mean, goads were sharp pointed sticks used to drive an animal in the direction required by its particular keeper. I mean, I often think that I need a goad when I'm up here. Because, I mean, I could have a stick that would extend in length and point it out to each of you to direct you where you need to go, right? Then wouldn't it be helpful for me to have a goad? Especially if I see you begin to nap, I could go out there and hit you with a goad and wake you up. I need a goad. So goad in that day was to keep those animals, you're not an animal, but to keep them in the point of direction they need to go. It was used by the shepherd to keep them. But the word is our goad. As the psalmist has said in chapter 19, 119, verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Now the expression, like nails firmly fixed, is the word of truth should penetrate the, the word, the word of truth should penetrate our very being, our entire soul, and should affect deeply to our heart. Just like the psalmist had read, said also in 119, verse 11. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. So the word should point us, direct us, and keep close to our heart. But notice also then besides the analogy of goads and nails, secondly, look at the word shepherd. The word shepherd, if you will, notice is capitalized. The shepherd is God. And the wisdom he gives is like nails to drive through the walls of our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It is the purpose of truth is to make sure we stay on the path we're supposed to be on. Overall, verse 11, Solomon writes it, offers a purpose of truth, which is this. The truth, when we receive it, fully digest it, sets us free. But it also guides our steps in life to fulfill our purpose of making our life count for his glory. So we got the presentation of truth. We got the purpose of truth. And next comes the purity of truth. Verse 12, where Solomon says, My son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. In verse 12, Solomon warns us against studying words, too many books, to the exclusion of the Bible. Now, admittedly, yes, books offer educational value. I mean, we need to know things like math or science or philosophy and history. We need to maybe know some of that. And these books then on these subject matters offer highly valuable information that will at some point maybe assist us in life. But, and that's an important but, the Bible, God's word is the what matters the most and offers the truth we need each and every day in our life. It is the purity of truth. It offers wisdom and help 
to any and every life situation that we will ever encounter. Ruth Graham Bell, or Ruth Bell Graham, was once asked about the best way to become wise. And her answer was this. She said, read, 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 read. Read, but use the Bible as home base. That's how we become wise. To emphasize the importance of daily reading God's word, the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, used this, mess, used this analogy in one of his famous sermons. You're going to see it behind me. He says this. Ah, oh, you know more about your ledgers than you do the Bible. You know more about your day books than what God has written. Many of you will read a novel from beginning to end, and what have you got? A mouthful of froth when you have done. But you cannot read the Bible? That solid, lasting, substantial, and satisfying food goes uneaten, locked up in the cupboard of neglect. Solomon actually makes a pretty good point. That we often can make time to read a novel, whatever it may be. Our favorite book, we cannot put it down. We can even take time to read the newspaper. But how many times do we make and set aside some time each and every day to read the Word of God, the Bible, the purity of truth? Do not neglect the Word, because God's Word of truth is pure. It is the purity of truth. So Solomon warns us not to forget the pure truth of God's Word whether it be Sheila, Jeannie, Chris, whoever may come up here and give a children's message, they seem to emphasize to the children each time they come up that everything in that Bible, God's Word, is true. The children have all learned that. It's all true. It's the purity of truth. So we need to remember to read the Bible. You know, the books are sometimes fun to read. We might read of the books in words of our favorite author. But remember, remember this. Other books are given for information. But the Bible, God's word, was given for our transformation. Always make that distinction. It's okay to read some other books. I'm not saying don't read. Don't be educated. But remember, they are given for the information. But the Bible is our way of being transformed. It's the purity of truth. So how can we live to make sure that we are simultaneously filling the purpose that God has given to us to love him first and foremost and to be obedient? We know we got to, to have the purity of truth. We have the, 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 the absolute truth. We got the presentation of truth. And now we see we truly have to go back to the absolute truth. Verse 13. Verse Solomon says, The end of matter all has been heard. Is the absolute truth is to fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. This is absolute truth. It is pure. It is transformational. It is a guide to direct our entire life. And using this guide each and every day, the truth of God's word 
can assist every particular meaning and purpose we have in life. While the world may be telling you there is no such thing as absolute truth, we should lean on God's word, the truth, each and every day, keeping his commandments, because it is certain, it is always true. Someone's right when he proclaims that everything in life matters. It's about based on what he had written before when he said all is vanity. But now he points us to absolute truth that this will be a day in which we'll have this judgment. All the truth has been heard. Everything has been expressed. And through all that, then we need to keep his commandments and obey. In fulfilling our purpose and meaning, recognizing that everything we do matters. Everything in life that we do matters. It starts with being obedient to God, but also in fearing God, as Solomon alludes to. Fear as in not being afraid of God, like being afraid of the dark or spiders and snakes, but, afraid, or, or, but fear as in reverence and respect. Reverence and respect of the supreme creator of the world, the one who gives life and the one who can take it away, the shepherd who guides and directs our steps each and every day. As Solomon is now taking a moment, he has written much. We have some that we've covered, others we've skipped over. But he concludes now his writing with the absolute truth. And the absolute truth he also includes in the final exam that each and every person will have to have in their life. It's a final exam for everyone to recognize will come someday in the future. I mean, not many people get excited about final exams. I mean, you may reflect back to when you were in school. Days like this makes you think that you want a snow day. So you have to go back to school. But if you know those snow days back in the day when it occurred to us, it changed today because of virtual learning, that those snow days had to be made up at the end of the school year. And it seemed like in every year that we were in school, when it approached May, we were really ready to get out of school. I was. But before I could leave school, there was always a final exam in the class that I had to make sure I take. I was ready to get out for the summer, but the final exam had to be done first. So we don't like final exams. The final exams are a part of life. And now Solomon tells us there's another one coming up that no student can ever escape. It is inevitable. Most people think the final exam only belongs in school. However, today we learn there is a final exam of the absolute truth coming one day in our life. And as we prepare then to conclude everything that we studied and written about Ecclesiastes, we become aware that we're given a final exam, life's final exam. From who? From the shepherd. From the mighty one from the almighty sovereign God. Solomon tells us that we need to know finally the judgment will come upon each of us for how we live our life that God has given to us. We've got one life, and that one life we need to make it count. How you live your life matters. How you live your life matters. Everyone has a purpose. Every one of us have a purpose. 
On the day you have your final exam, you must ask yourself, God will direct you and say, did you fulfill your purpose? What is your purpose? The point of the entire series is to reveal our purpose. And to state our purpose is simply saying this. We are to love the Lord our God. We are to live joyfully, comfortably, utilizing the gift that you've been given in life. Not for your own glory, but for his. Share the truth. Share the gospel. Love Jesus with all your heart, but love Jesus enough to share that love of Jesus with someone else. We have various occupations in life. We have one purpose. The purpose is to share the love of Jesus, to love him with all of our heart. No matter what our occupation may be, we have that one purpose. Our occupation may be a bus driver, an engineer, a factory worker, a teacher, a nurse, administrator, whatever, a whole bunch of occupations in this room throughout this world. But we have one single purpose in common. To love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to share that love with others. To live joyfully, comfortably, while telling the others about the love of Jesus. Share the truth. That's your purpose. Notice, if you will, this. With the various occupations. That one day you may retire. You may retire from your occupation, but you will never retire from your purpose. You carried it all the way through life. You retire from what you may do as your job, as your occupation, but you never retire from your purpose. So realize your purpose. Live joyfully and obediently. As a summary of Ecclesiastes, Solomon shows us that we should surely enjoy life. We have just one. But that does not exempt us from obeying all the commands that God has written. We should, we should live our life then searching for meaning and purpose in all the things that we do. But they're not found in human endeavors. We should acknowledge the evil, foolishness, and injustice in life, yet remain have a positive attitude, and have strong faith in God. And the psalmist says all that then to come back to the absolute truth that one day we will stand before God and be judged for what we have done in this life. Your life matters, and how you live your life matters. And when you stand before God, you and I will not be able to use any excuse to say life's not fair. We can't use the use the, the excuse of inequities in life for failing to live properly because we've been given the truth. So God's going to react on that final day. Therefore, we read Solomon then and conclude because he directs us to these things that we must recognize that human effort apart from God is futile. Living life without God is vanity, meaningless. So put God first in your life right now if never before. Receive everything good as a gift from God. 
every blessing that we ever have in life probably was because someone had prayed for you to receive it, and then God granted that gift, that, that prayer. So realize then how God will judge ultimately everyone for the life you've lived and every deed, whether good or evil. When you have one life, make it count for his glory. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and share that love with others joyfully. Father, Lord, thank you for this message we receive here today as we wrap up our time in Ecclesiastes. So much more to say, Lord. So much more is written that we could dissect and be able to receive. But Lord, you directed us in this manner. You directed us in this way to receive these messages that we have received. So today, Lord, as we come perhaps smaller in number, but people will be listening later, Lord, we come to be able to live today for you, recognizing you've given us meaning and purpose in life. To pray today, Lord, that all of us would recognize what that purpose is. It's been spelled out here today. And we've truly lived that life pointing people to you. Lord, let us be thankful then for all the blessings you give to us. How you took our place upon that cross. Must be so incredibly thankful, Lord. We are thankful today that you allow us to come here safely. You heard us and you gave us this message to hear. So we fulfill our purpose today, Lord, bringing people to you. We pray, Lord, you'll get the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.